0: Amen. Thank you, Aaron and music people for reminding us to love the Lord with all of our hearts as our main calling as Christians, to, as the people of God, to love him with all that we are, our minds, our body, our strength, and our soul, to love the Lord. If we get that part wrong, none of this other stuff matters. So thank you for that good reminder. Uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit is in this place today. I hope you feel that as well. Uh, Jesus promises us that we're two or three gather in his name. There he is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So thank God for that today. Uh, we're going to continue our series in, in uh, First Corinthians today. And, you know, I, I didn't write First Corinthians. Uh, I, I hope you know that uh, these, these sermons. I'm not choosing these topics or these texts. Uh, We're preaching through this book of the Bible expositionally, which I think is important. And this month, we're looking at how everything that we do in our lives should all be for the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came to earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he gave us words of life, that he died an atoning death, for our sins on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. That's the center of not only the biblical story, but the story of everything else. And so living a life of singular purpose and priority now, this is the main point of our lives. It should all point towards Jesus Christ, the cross. I was born and raised here in Nashville. Any other unicorns out there? Anybody born and raised? A lot of you, almost half of you uh, born and raised I love hearing stories about old Nashville. Uh, You know, uh, Lil grew up next to Bobby's Dairy Dip, uh, you know, on Charlotte back in the, I won't say what year, Uh, but uh, you know, she's like old school Nashville. She's got old school Nashville street credibility, I feel like. I grew up in Franklin, which increasingly feels like another world. You know, Williamson County is kind of its own animal. No offense to you Williamson Countyans out there, but uh, I just love these old school Nashville people that have this knowledge of all the history of Nashville. And I always thought that Nashville was part of the South, right? This, we live in the, in the South, right? Until I moved to Birmingham. Uh, it's, it's different, okay? The deep South is not the same, right? Well, the deep South is not the same as the South here in Nashville. Nashville increasingly is more cosmopolitan. It's a little more—I won't say—I I don't want to take any uh, stabs at, at, at Alabama, but I was raised to have good manners. My, my parents are from Texas, and I was taught to say "Yes, ma'am" and, and "Yes, sir." But it's a whole nother ball game in Alabama. Okay? It's uh, there, there's like chivalry uh, still in in Birmingham. It's like. Men are still expected to like open car doors and, and, and hold doors for others and uh, it 's very important in the deep south to be polite and to be considerate. What does it mean to be considerate? Is it about appearing to be a, a nice person with, with good manners you 've heard the the, the the saying about you know well, bless your heart that 's kind of a southerner 's way of saying. You're not very bright or, or you're pathetic or something, right? <laughs> we have a lot of very nice people. When, when Jude was in elementary school, they had a campaign at his school that said, be nice. It was all this, be nice. It was like an anti-bullying campaign. And I said, Jude, I don't give a rip if you're nice. I don't. I said, I want you to be kind because kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Being nice, you can be nice on the outside and have hatred in your heart. What I want you is to be genuinely kind from the inside out. So when, what we're talking about today, when we say considerate, we're not talking about appearing to be a gentleman or a genteel lady. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something deeper. The dictionary defines considerate as being careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. In this culture that prioritizes what's important for me and for myself, I see that more and more in our culture, being authentically considerate is kind of a lost art. Have you ever been in the unfortunate position of having to serve pizza to middle schoolers? It, it, I mean, it's scary. If you aren't quick, you may lose a finger. It's, it's really intense. Uh, last night, we served some pizza to some we happen to have uh, all boys that showed up for our youth hangout last night, and when I said it's pizza time, there were elbows uh, being thrown. It was like a stampede uh, for the pizza. Uh, I've often quoted Pastor Scotty Smith. He planted uh, Christ Community Church in Franklin. He has a series of tweets for some of y'all those that, that's on Twitter. It's an application on a smartphone, uh, but he has a series of tweets with a hashtag. That means he connects all the tweets. Uh, and the hashtag is signs you're growing in grace. And I've quoted them before. It's really helpful. Just little things that that show that you are actually growing in grace. And I want to suggest to you middle schoolers, okay, you three right there, I'm looking at y'all, that, that not being first in line for pizza is a sign you're growing in grace, okay? <laughs> if you can... Let others go first, that's a sign that you're growing in grace. It's also a sign that you're becoming more considerate, more considerate, truly biblically considerate. So in our text for today, we're going to consider what does it mean to be considerate. In this section of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is finally getting to some of the questions that the, the first letter that he received from the Corinthians asked about. They had questions about how do we do, you know, marriage and divorce because our culture does it one way. How should Christians do it? And they had questions about worship services, like who can stand up and prophesy and should women cover their heads or not? Alan Wharton's gonna preach on that in a few weeks. That's gonna be great. I'm gonna be on sabbatical, so I gave Alan that text. Uh, (laughs) uh, But what we see also is that there was a question about what was a sin and what wasn't. A lot of people ask questions is this a sin or is this not a sin? And I think normally when people ask that question, it's not an appropriate motivation. They're asking that question from a sense of legalism, right? They're trying to get it right, to follow the rules in order to be right with God. But Christianity is not about following the rules. Christianity is not about what we do, it's about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But religious people have this tendency to want to know what are the rules, what's right and what's wrong so we can get it right and therefore God will have to bless us and he'll have to let us into heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus alone paid the debt that our sins incurred a debt that we could not have paid other than death itself. He died so that we don't have to. He forged a way to make us right with him both now and forever. Okay, that's important to remember that. The Corinthians, again, asked these questions about what's a sin and what's not. And one of the things they asked about was about whether or not they could eat food that was served in the pagan temples in Corinth. If that sounds weird, just remember, these pagan temples had animal sacrifices and they would take the leftover meat and they would sell it like a butcher shop. If you wanted meat in Corinth, you'd go to the pagan temple and they'd give you a discount on the leftover meat. They also hosted dinner parties. It was like the best restaurant in town. They would send out invitations from Lord Serapis, who invites you to feast at uh, this event at this temple And and there was a dispute among the church in Corinth whether or not it was okay to go to those things. And they they probably didn't like Paul's answer because Paul's answer is more nuanced. It's more gospel-centered than what they probably wanted. Paul's pointing to a higher principle than just legalistic kind of right and wrong do's or don'ts. That's not the core of Christianity. Paul shows them, how the gospel of Jesus opens us up and allows us to be truly considerate people. So let's stand in honor of God's word today. It's only 13 verses as I read our text from today. 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verses one to 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we all are, whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, This weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may have a seat. Okay, you may think that eating food that's been offered to pagan temples is not relevant to our society today. I hope none of you uh, have had to deal with that issue. Maybe, I don't know, on the mission field or something, uh, maybe you've had to deal with that, but I've never had to actually wrestle with that. But the idea of giving up my rights for the sake of others is something that I can practice every day. And it's something that as Christians, We are called to consider. I saw a post by someone, man, social media is just, it's not life-giving, is it? I don't know anyone that's like better off from social media, you know? uh, I have a friend who's a pastor and he's not on social media. He's a pastor of a big church in town. He's not on any social media. I said, how do you do it? Don't, you know, how do you avoid any social media? And he says, do I really think the world needs my voice out there on social media? And I was like, that's a really humble Way to think of it, maybe it's just my pride that keeps me on social media. I don't know. But I saw a post on, on one, I won't tell you who it was or where, but uh, I hope you don't know. I didn't know who it was. But they, they, they were so appalled by a car. They were sitting in traffic on a two lane road not far from here in Green Hills, and they saw another car go up the, the, the oncoming side, the left side, to avoid all the traffic. Just went around everybody. And they were so appalled by it, they took a picture of it and made a snarky post on social media about it. I I remember reading it thinking, this is two examples of people who are not being considerate right now, right? Both the person who posted it and the person who thought that they were the exception and could go up the oncoming lane of traffic. Our culture doesn't value the kind of consideration that the Bible commends to us as God's people. We're trained that if you're not first, you're last. As that person was going up that left side, he was probably saying, sucker, see you later, all you losers in that line, I'm smarter, I figured out a better way to do things. We nurture that instinct. We we tend to to reward people who follow that fleshly, uh, fallen nature that drives them to be selfish and drives them to be greedy. I was telling Tom, I saw this uh, write-up about Jack Welch, the CEO uh, for 20 years of General Electric, and, and how he was a different model of CEO. That, that instead of, uh, you know, he really grew GE into the, the biggest company, but, but at what cost? You know, workers that used to be shared uh, profits were, a lot of them were laid off, and a lot of companies followed suit, and he grew a successful company. But, but again, at, at what cost? We have to think about others more significantly than ourselves. As I've said before, people who are greedy, people who are misers, who hoard things for themselves and have a scarcity mentality, are truly miserly, miserable people. That's the root word of miserable. God has a better way for us to live. If only we will listen and allow his grace to penetrate our hard hearts and to make us into a heart of flesh that helps us to not be misers. So first, the first point in your outline, being considerate means truly valuing love over knowledge. The Corinthians had written to Paul, all of us possess knowledge. We we know all about this whole Jesus thing now. We're in, we got the the inside scoop on, on what the gospel's all about, that it's the key to God's plan to reconcile the world back to himself. We know that there's grace abundant in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So now we're on the inside. We can do whatever we want. Where, grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds. But again, these people have a real problem with pride and arrogance, don't they? Paul's already called them out several times for being puffed up. The word in Greek literally means inflated and it's used 7 times in the entire Bible. 6 of those times are in the letter to the first the first letter to the Corinthians. In Greek culture, we talked about this, you know, knowing stuff made you culturally superior to those who were ignorant barbarians they called them, people who were uncouth and didn't know the secret stuff that you know. And the gospel quickly became that kind of secret knowledge. But look at the rest of the verse. This knowledge, he's quoting them, puffs up, but love builds up. Agape love, gift love, seeks the best for the other. When people love one another, a mutual edification takes place. A mutual building up. This is why Jesus told his followers to love one another as he has loved us. That's really the the, the key. So in order to be the radical church that God intends for us to be, to become the beautiful temple of God that he wants it to be, we must love one another before we seek to know things about systematic theology or doctrine or anything else. So how do we love others like that? By loving God and by belonging to him. That's point number two. By loving God and by belonging to him. Verse three says if anyone loves God, he's known by God. That's really the key to being a considerate person. You have to love God and to belong to him where you know his voice and he knows yours. You walk with him, you talk with him, I'm sure you've heard the, the joke. I think Calvin told it to me recently. Uh, you know what God's name is, right? I said, Yahweh. He said, no, God's name is Andy. You know why? Because the hymn says, Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me. And I know it's terrible, uh, terrible joke. But there's an intimacy with God that that hymn implies that in the garden, I come alone to be with the Lord. And there we walk and we talk and we have this intimate relationship. That relationship is really the only source for growing in grace. I love 2 Peter 3.18, the last verse in 2 Peter. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not knowledge. He says, oh, that's that's 1 Peter. That's not 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't say grow in knowledge of um, books. He doesn't say grow in knowledge of ecclesiology. He doesn't say grow in knowledge of soteriology. He doesn't say grow in knowledge of eschatology. He says grow in knowledge of Jesus. Know Christ. That's what's important. More and more to become so well acquainted with Jesus that you become like him. That you become considerate and selfless. (coughs) Excuse me. We can't be considerate, though, if we don't learn how to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Point number three is that we must understand what others have gone through. Paul says that these puffed-up Corinthians, he tells them, look, I know that you see no problem with eating some of these delicacies that come from the pagan temples because you know that these fake gods are are not real. But the key verse is verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Not everyone is where you are. Not everyone is as mature as you are in your faith. Some people have serious baggage from their time in in pagan temples before they were Christians. They carry that trauma. The, the idols terrify them. They're still scared. <clears throat> they carry this religious baggage. I've heard a lot of folks talk about this book. I've had many friends, I haven't read it, but 2014, uh, Bessel van der Kolk published The Body Keeps Score. He says basically that traumatic stress affects our minds and our bodies. In pro- it's not a Christian book, but they're Christian principles. This, this trauma affects our minds and our bodies in lasting and profound ways that we don't usually even realize. Paul urges these people who sound like leaders in Corinth, they've written to him as leaders in Corinth who are strong in their faith to consider the baggage that others are carrying who may be weaker. But we don't naturally put up with weaker siblings. But so much of Paul's writings deal with how we who are mature should put up with our weaker faith siblings. Romans chapter 15 verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. We who are strong must be considerate, considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this, like things like eating meat offered in temples. We should be considerate. But we don't naturally do this. Mark Dever tells a story about when he was in graduate school. He had a friend who worked for a parachurch ministry, and uh, they started going to a church together. And they went for a couple of years, and eventually Mark Dever joined the church, but his friend didn't join the church. In fact, his friend started leaving right before the the sermon. He'd just kind of slip in late and slip out, early, so typical Mark Dever fashion, he confronted his friend about his half-hearted attendance, and the guy said, well, I don't really get anything out of the rest of the service. To which Mark, very, again, typical Mark style, counterintuitively asked him, well, have you considered joining the church? And his friend was shocked, and he said, join the church? Why would I do that? I know what I'm here for, and those people would just slow me down. And Mark graciously in his book says, this guy didn't have a bad heart. He just was looking for a spiritual jolt for the week. And he wanted to say a lot of things to his friend, but all he could come up with was, well, did you ever think that if if you linked arms with these people, yes, they may slow you down, but you may help speed them up. Maybe that's part of God's plan for them and for you. Being part of the body of Christ means being part of the family of God. And in a family, you don't pick your family members, but you love them and you work with them for the flourishing of the household. That's what Paul is asking them to do here in Corinth. This helps us in bearing with those who are less mature in their faith. You know, I don't like criticism, I don't take criticism well a lot of times, but uh, we all need constructive feedback, so please uh, help me learn to to be better about it by giving me some. Uh, I I listened to a podcast with Sam Alberry, who's a local pastor here in town. He says that uh, when he's given criticism, even if that person is wrong, they're dead wrong in their criticism, he said, I'm still way worse than they think I am. (laughs) He said that, that helps him deal with criticism. To remember that, that we are so depraved and fallen, people who know that about themselves are not prone to that pride that shows up defensively. And that helps us to bear with those who are weak, to remember that we are no better than they are. In fact, we may be far worse. Fourth, in order to be considerate, we must learn to see earthly things as God does. We need a better perspective on stuff that doesn't really matter. Verse eight says, food's not gonna commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat. We're no better off if we do. We have to learn to see things like food, like money, like success, as God does. We need to consider how these things often become idols to people, but ultimately they're not bad in and of themselves, okay? I love food. Nashville's a great food town. I'm always asking Jamie Dunham, where should we eat? Miles Hutcherson, he's got great restaurant recommendations, you know, and they always give us great ideas for for date nights. We have to, to learn that these good things become ultimate things, and that's when it becomes a problem. When we make something like food or money or any other earthly thing that controls us, then it has power over us, and we are dominated by it. Paul reminds us that these things are in and of themselves neutral. There's great potential for problem, but Paul didn't say money's the root of all evil. He said love of money is the root of all evil. It's how we use these neutral things for God's glory that counts. Finally, the, the fifth point is that in order to be considerate, we have to defer our rights for the sake of others. These Corinthians who are puffed up are saying, it's legal for me to eat this meat now. I'm under grace. I can do this legally. It's like back in chapter six, Paul says, yeah, sure, all things are lawful for me. But then he says, not all things are helpful. Yeah, we're under grace. You can do anything. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should When you get outside yourself and you consider what's helpful for everyone, what's beneficial for everyone, what's constructive for everyone, then you see that giving up your rights is essential for flourishing. Again, this is hard in America where we're so libertarian that we love our rights and I'll do my thing and you do your thing. Paul says, no, I'm not gonna do my thing. I'm gonna give up my rights for the sake of others. That's really hard to do, but the gospel enables us to do that. We have to consider how using our rights affects others, especially our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse nine, Paul says, take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. How do we do this? Paul gives us three keys. First, by considering our witness, how what we do and where we go is perceived by others, consider your witness. Look at verse ten again. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating it in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Our friends in, in celebrate recovery, they know all about this, right? They they are free to go to the bar down the street, yes, in Christ, but to bring their friend who's uh, in the throes of alcohol addiction would be leading them into sin and into temptation, right? Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean that you should. That's a big deal. They're, we're called to lead one another into righteousness, into mutual edification, not into temptation and sin. Second, Paul says it's easier for us to defer our rights when we consider the worth of others. They're surpassing worth. How worthy is that weaker brother and sister? In verse 11, he says that, and by your knowledge, your inflated understanding of the gospel, the weak person's destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. That's a big deal. The person that you neglected to be considerate of and have led into sin is so worthy, so important to God that he sent his only son to die for them. We ought to care as much about them as Jesus does. Then you can do the third thing, to follow Paul's own example and sacrifice for the sake of others. Give up your goodness, give up your rights for the sake of others. Paul simply says, look, if it's an issue at all, I'll abstain. Verse 13, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. There's great power in this kind of consideration. Caring for one another in this way can be life-changing. And it definitely is church-changing. I remember seeing the movie, Remember the Titans. I think I was in college, and it was in the movie theater at uh, the Hollywood 27 down here at 100 Oaks. It was kind of a new theater. It's kind of a cheesy football movie, but the the underlying principle, true story, is about racial healing and racial reconciliation in Virginia uh, in the 60s or 70s. And at the end of the movie, the credits rolled, my friends and I stood up, and we were walking towards the aisle, and an African-American gentleman was coming down the steps, and I said, you go ahead. And he said, no, you go ahead. I said, no, you go ahead. He said, come here, man. And like, we hugged it out, like right there in the aisle, and it it was just this great moment. And I was thinking about just letting someone go first, and he was prone to, no, you go first. We were so prone to consideration in that moment that it led to this beautiful moment of of hugging and, and affirming one another as fellow image bearers in Jesus Christ. When you let someone go first, whether it be for pizza, when you let somebody go first in traffic, when you let someone go first in church, you are being considerate in such a way that you are enacting what Jesus has done for us. Will you commit to that kind of consideration in your life? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word that shows us how to get outside of ourselves, how to put our own selfish desires aside for the sake of others flourishing. God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in our church who make us better, who keep us accountable, who give us opportunities to exercise being considerate. Lord, I pray that you would help us to defer our own rights, which are now ours in Christ, for the flourishing of others. Help us not look to our, our own needs only, as Philippians 2 says, but also to the interests of others, to the interests of others first, and to put ourselves last, as you have done for us. Lord, I pray that as we approach this table this morning, the feast of forgiveness that you offer us through Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are open to you convicting us of being selfish, of being greedy, of seeking our own way ahead of others' ways. God, I pray that you would mold our hearts into Christ-likeness so that we can be supernaturally considerate. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.